Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have promised that your word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. In the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, we do not ordain women. We have deaconesses. We have female school teachers. So why not pastors? It's a good question. It's not that we ignore the times. It's that in our synod, the times are not our ultimate authority. God's word is. I was discussing our epistle reading with someone recently, and we read through it, and this individual asked a very good question. Pastor, if a woman has gone to seminary, and if she feels in her heart that she should be a pastor, and preach the gospel, why would you prevent her from doing so? My response was simply, I'm not preventing her from doing anything. I'm simply trying to understand God's word and explain it. It's my job. But then I said, let me ask you a question. This Sunday coming up is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. That's today. And most Protestant churches use what we call the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a three-year cycle of readings. This year we're in Luke's Gospel. There's epistle readings and Old Testament readings, as, as you see. And in most churches today that use the Revised Common Lectionary, the epistle reading is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through not verse 15, through verse 8. Verses 9 to 15 are not being read. In other words, church bureaucrats in many denominations don't want you to hear verses 9 to 15. Now, of course, you can go home and read it on your own, but you probably won't. And so my question is simply this, why? Why not 9 to 15? You know, when St. Paul was saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus, this is in Acts chapter 20, he said to them this, I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink back in declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I did not write verses 9 to 15. I didn't write verses 1 to 8. I didn't write any of this. St. Paul did. But like St. Paul, I will not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Roman number 1 inside your worship bulletin, Scripture makes this very clear. 
men and women are equal before God. Letter A, all of us bear God's image. You know, so God made man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Letter B, all of us are joint heirs of salvation. St. Paul writes in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what he means here is simply this, that neither your ethnicity, nor your social class, nor your gender gets you into the kingdom of God, nor do those things keep you out of the kingdom of God. Only your relation to Jesus Christ determines your standing before God. And it's well known that Jesus taught women many examples of that, especially in Luke's gospel. And, and when Jesus teaches, he uses, he draws examples that men can relate to. He draws upon examples that women can relate to. We saw this recently where, you know, the, um, the, the good shepherd seeks the lost until he finds it, and then the woman sweeps her house for the lost coin. He's always doing this, and he, he's very sensitive to both sexes. And that's very different for a rabbi. Uh, and, and as we know, Jesus uh, taught women, which the other rabbis would not do. Well, all of these things, and a lot of other things taken together today, leads us to point C. Our culture assumes, from all this, that men and women are interchangeable. That men and women are interchangeable. That's the assumption. Interchangeable means that men and women are essentially the same, that one gender can be substituted for the other without any consequences. Now, that's not biblical, but that's what our culture is not only teaching us, but telling us very loudly, and you better not disagree. Roman numeral two. Our epistle lesson for today deals with instructions for worship. How, do you, how are we to conduct ourselves in the divine service, in the worship of the church? We're not talking about anything really outside of here, but in here, what do we do? How do we conduct ourselves? And these instructions remind us that men and women are different. And we refer to this as complementarianism. When God made the world, he made everything in pairs. These are what we call the binaries of creation, the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, the night and the day, the male and the female. In each case, it takes the two halves together to form one whole. Each half is different, and each half completes the other. Each has what the other lacks, you see. So they're not interchangeable at all. For example, you cannot have life on earth if you just have the heavens but no earth. You can't have life on earth if you have just the sea but not the dry land. And you can't have life on earth if you have just the female and not the male or, or vice versa. That's complementarianism, and it's just a fact. We're different, and we need each other. Letter A, 
men are to pray. Now, you and I know that all of us are to pray, all right? So why does Paul explicitly tell the men to pray? Well, simply for this reason, and there are many examples of this in the Bible, that generally speaking, when God wants to reveal himself to someone, to a household, like to Abraham's household, he'll reveal himself to the man. When he wants to speak to Abraham's household, he speaks to Abraham. Or to Isaac's household, he speaks to Isaac. Or to Jacob's household, he speaks to Jacob. That is to say, the man is the family priest. Sort of the go-between, between God and the family. The man is the one who builds the family altar. You know, Abraham goes around building the altars around which the family gathers to worship the Lord. This is, this is how God normally, not always, but this is how he normally, ordinarily operates. Letter B, the instruction to women, women are to adorn themselves with good works. And, and I, I cite Proverbs 31 because that's the first thing that came to mind. And the, the woman in Proverbs 31, she's buying real estate, she's selling real estate. She plants vineyards. She is the business manager of her own home. And she keeps the household alive. Letter C. Neither women nor most men are called to be pastors. And I cite not only our epistle lesson for today, but Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 14, which also never show up in the lectionary over three years, and you never read it. Paul says these words, women are to be silent in the worship service. That's not absolute silence, like you can't sing a hymn or, or do other things. He's talking about authoritative teaching. They're not permitted to speak. And that word speak here is used often in the context of authoritative teaching. Women are not to occupy the pastoral office, the teaching office in the church. Many other things, yes, but not that one office. And then Paul adds this, and this is the kicker, and this is the only reason why I cite it. Paul adds, if anyone thinks differently about this, let him consider that this is the Lord's command. See, it's, it's not up for debate. Now, we can debate it, and that's fine. But ultimately, what's our final authority? Is it what the culture intimidates us into doing or saying? Or is it the Word of God? So neither women nor most men are called to be pastors. Now this is, uh, number one, this is countercultural. The, the pagan religions in which Christianity began, they were surrounded by paganism. They had goddesses as well as gods. They had priestesses as well as priests. Women played a very large role in the religion of Paul's day. So this was countercultural, and it's based on the order of creation. And that's in our text for this morning. Adam was formed first, then Eve. So there's a priority there. That's the order of creation. I can recall years ago visiting uh, someone down in Texas, and they had this expansively large living room, and we're sitting in the living room, the, the husband and the wife and myself. And the odd thing was, the only furniture in the living room lined the walls. And this is, a, again, a very large space. 
and there's a sofa way over here, there's another chairs way over there, and the wife is in one chair over that direction, the husband's in another chair over that direction, and I'm here against a third wall, and I'm trying to conduct a conversation. And, and the temptation is for me to take my chair and pull it up to where they are, or near, closer to where they are. But I thought, this is not my house. It's not my place to do this. It's not, it's not my place to rearrange the furniture. Well, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? The world and all who dwell in it. The Lord, the Lord arranges things as he wills, and it's really not our place to rearrange it all, although we are tempted to do so. It's really the same difference. Number two, verse 11, let a woman learn quietly, or literally in the Greek, in quietness, and, and I know a lot about this word quiet, because I did my master's thesis on it. And, and I, I studied the word all the way from Homer in the 9th century BC to the early church fathers, the 5th and 6th centuries AD. It's a long time. I looked up every occurrence of the word, and I saw a pattern in it. And the pattern is this, that it refers to more than just being audibly quiet. It refers to an attitude of the heart. It is resting, not rebelling against, but resting under the order, resting under the arrangement. It's accepting the arrangement you find yourself in. That's what being quiet is, as opposed to being turbulent, being rebellious. So it's a very broad term. It is a Christian virtue. Number three, with all submissiveness, meaning submissive to God's order, God's arrangement. And that is a Christ-like thing as well. It's a Christ-like virtue. And all of us are commanded to be submissive to authority in the scriptures. We're all commanded to do that. You know, it's not that anyone can make us submit. No, that's not it. It's that we voluntarily submit ourselves to the powers that be. Let everyone submit himself to the governing authorities, Paul writes in Romans 13. You submit yourself. No one makes you submit. That's not Christ-like. Number four, and this is an important uh, pattern we see in Scripture. The man gives, the woman receives. Now, the man in, in marriage, you know, marriage is a picture between, of Christ and the church. Christ gives, the church, the bride of Christ, receives. And this is what St. Paul means when he writes in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to sanctify her, to make her holy by the cleansing of water with the word. That's a reference to baptism. Christ does that. Now, now this is true in, in procreation. You know, the, I mean, just bear with me. You know, the man gives, the woman receives. But it's also true spiritually. Christ gives the seed of God's word through the pastor. That's what's going on in the text. And the bride of Christ, the church, receives the word. And that seed, that word, produces fruit in the members. 
And th this is how it works. The ultimate act of giving is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He ransoms us from the captivity of sin and death. And this is why Paul then writes to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, Christ gives his life for us and it has a sanctifying, a cleansing effect on all of us. It draws us near to God. And the same way, when the husband sees it as his mission to give to his wife, it has a sanctifying, a cleansing effect on the entire relationship, and it draws both individuals closer to God. That is God's intent. Now, the luxury liner Titanic sank in 1912, and there were 1,450 people who died on the Titanic, but only 103 of them were women. Why was that? Well, it's because of women and children first. There weren't enough lifeboats for everyone on board. There weren't nearly enough lifeboats. And the whole Titanic thing, it's unsinkable. It's really a testimony to the, um, I guess, foolishness of man. But that's really another story. Women and children first. And, and I, I can recall watching the movie Titanic, not, not the recent one with, who's that guy? Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. Okay, I haven't seen that. Uh, but I saw the 1953 version with Clifton Webb. Okay, this was on Saturday night at the movies back in the 60s. It came on TV, right? And so I'm watching this movie Titanic, and the women are, and the children are getting into the boats. The men, and, and a few women who are elderly, they're, they're with their husbands. They say, you know, I, I, I want to die with my husband. But all these men are on the deck. The deck is listing, it's tilting. And the band's playing Nearer My God to Thee. And there's Clifton Webb. And I, this is burned into my consciousness. He's there with his son. And they're singing Nearer My God to Thee. And I said to myself at that moment, that's what a man does. That's a man. I never forgot it. I never forgot it. This is what it means to give. And there are a lot of other ways this happens, too. We don't have time to go into all that, but you get the point. Uh, by the way, contrast that with the sinking of the Costa Concordia in 2012, where men were fighting their way to the lifeboats, knocking women over. And by the way, even the captain of the Costa Concordia was one of the first into the lifeboat. Well, I mean, all these people are still on board. And you know what he said? Later on he said, well, I slipped and fell into the lifeboat. What a difference. 1912 to 2012. Can you believe that difference? We've lost a lot. 
we really have. Number five, women may teach other women. In Titus 2, Paul talks about the elderly, the older women teaching the younger. Uh, children, 2 Timothy 1, and Timothy is taught the faith by his mother and his grandmother. And then, women may teach anyone at all in private. Acts chapter 18, Apollos, who's very learned in the scriptures, is preaching the gospel, but he has a very incomplete view of the gospel. He's familiar only with the baptism of John the Baptist, not the baptism of Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila take him aside and they privately explain to him the way of God more accurately. A man imitates Christ by giving sacrificially to his wife. The wife imitates the bride of Christ, the church, by receiving what the man has to give to her. Now, that is submissiveness right there. It is receiving what the other has to give. And my friends, the greatest thing you can ever do for me personally, the most important thing, the, the thing that would give my heart joy more than anything else on this earth is for you to show up and to receive what I have to give. That's, that's being submissive in a very real sense. It's receiving what God has to give you through the minister, through the pastor. And then Roman numeral three, scripture elevates women or a woman, womankind, by highlighting her uniqueness. And the uniqueness in verse 15 is childbearing. It's childbearing. Now, Paul is not saying that having children is a requirement for salvation. That's not his point at all. He's saying this, that God has given womankind a unique place in the created order. God has given womankind a work to do that no man can do. And Paul is encouraging womankind to accept this honorable place, to, to embrace it, to receive it. And to do that is to live quietly. It is to have faith. Now, I cannot bear children. God has not given me that place in the order of creation. Now, I'm close to my two daughters, and I'm glad I am, but I don't think I will ever be as close to them as their mother is. And that's just the way it is. And I, I can accept it, though at times I'm a little envious. Now, I'm grateful also that my daughters have a wide opportunity today, many opportunities. They played sports, they're, they're into their careers and stuff, and, and they grow up doing almost anything they want to do. Even I can't do everything. I mean, I can't play in the NBA. That's all right. I'd rather watch people who are better than I play in the NBA. My daughters could grow up doing almost anything they want to do, and I would not change that. But there is no doubt in my mind that the greatest joy, the most fulfillment they'll ever have is to be married and to have a family. And I think every boy and every girl growing up today needs to hear that because it's true and because no one else is telling them that. Now, I understand it's not God's will for everyone to be married. And I understand it's not possible for everyone to have children. We all have our unique gifts. My point is 
that joy and fulfillment in life is always rooted in relationships, especially those close relationships between husband and wife, between parent and child. And I want children growing up today to know that and to aspire to that as well. And that is a quiet life, a life lived under God's will, God's arrangement, God's order. Roman number four, all believers are called to a quiet life. And quiet here means living under the will of God, not, not being rebellious, uh, resisting, and that sort of thing. And the will of God, as we've read in our lesson, is for all to be saved. And God will ordinarily, not always, but God will ordinarily bring that message of salvation to you through a man whom he has called. I began this message by quoting St. Paul to the Ephesian elders. I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In many churches today, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 8 is being read to the people of God, and you know what? I'm glad. Verses 1 to 8 are God's word, and those verses contain the gospel mightily. But verses 9 to 15 are also God's word. And verses 9 to 15 reveal how the gospel is to be proclaimed. Verses 9 to 15 are being avoided in the church today. And I think we're poorer for it. My friends, God did not call me to hold back anything from you except my own self-centeredness. I am called to give you the whole counsel of God, and I will try my very best to deliver. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.